You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of January 21st, 2018. The podcast that whips it, whips it good. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Daniel Wilcox. Welcome back, Daniel. Glad to be back. It's been a while. Let's hyper-reverberate the news of the bogus. It's a good time to do an update on the Bundy case, where the Bureau of Land Management blatantly violated both the law and a federal agreement with Cliven Bundy and his family to extort over $1 million in grazing fees. It's a case that's been going on for a while now, and it just ended in a mistrial. This makes it the fourth time when jurors refused to convict, rejecting the government's claims, but this time, well, the word circus comes to mind. That sounds a little generous. It was one of those cases where Judge Gloria Navarro was blatantly biased from the word go, refusing to allow the defendants to make even the most basic arguments for their case. So it's a real testament that even under those restrictions, how the truth largely managed to come out, including how the BLM, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office were deliberately trying to provoke a violent confrontation declaring the First Amendment invalid in most of the 600,000 acres in question, and even posted snipers around the Bundys. Wait, snipers? Yeah, there were snipers. And this included Cliven Bundy's son Dave being thrown to the ground, having his face ground in asphalt, and arrested simply because he took pictures of the snipers. At the trial, the judge ordered Eric Parker off the witness stand simply for saying he looked up and to the left after the prosecution objected, saying that it would indicate the presence of BLM snipers, and that contradicted the BLM agent, who was crying and saying the horrible man was going to shoot him and he didn't do nothing. The trial also showed that there were precisely zero acts of violence or threats thereof from the Bundys at the time the FBI declared them domestic terrorists, as well as declaring the protests an armed takeover simply because they were wearing holstered firearms. Maybe his buttocks was suspiciously clenched. <laughs> there was tons of surveillance videos taken that the prosecutor initially claimed didn't exist, and that's just scratching the surface. Well, apparently, Judge Navarro's heart grew three sizes that day. Even she had her eyes open to the horrible way the federal government has behaved. She declared the entire proceedings a mistrial and then granted the defense's motion to dismiss. Judge Navarro said that she was unaware of a more egregious case of FBI misconduct. I'm sure she looked hard enough she could find one, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. And this may just be the beginning. There are another half-dozen pending motions to dismiss, which allege even greater prosecutorial misconduct. One example is when lead prosecutor Stephen Meyer was informed by a government case investigator that he was breaking the law by withholding evidence from the defense. Meyer's response? Fire the agent and order him to keep quiet. That's a disbarring offense there. Yeah. 
So it's not over yet, but maybe more cases like this will cause more judges like Navarro to realize that they've been backing the wrong horse and that they should stop defending government power and start defending the people's rights like they swore an oath to. One can only hope. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. Okay, Daniel, one from home for both of us. Federal judges have just ruled North Carolina's ridiculously gerrymandered districting map unconstitutional. God, I, I can't even imagine how badly the districts are divided. <laughs> just look at a map. You know that, like, Mel Watt district that kind of snaked up I-85 just so a black guy could get elected? And then I think the districts where Carrie is in is another example. It's almost like a checkerboard. I mean, look at any source that gives examples on gerrymandered districts. They'll include at least one or two from North Carolina. So in an opinion totaling almost 200 pages, a three-judge panel said that after state legislators were ordered to redraw the gerrymandered map, they made it even more gerrymandered, drawing excessively partisan districts. They concluded, quote, The 2016 plan violates the Equal Protection Clause, the First Amendment, and Article One of the Constitution. Oh, yeah, I see it going particularly bad in the southeast here. Oh, yeah. They ordered the state to ensure that no further elections are held under the 2016 map and to redraw the map before the 2018 midterms, and they're actually talking about delaying the primaries as a result. And this follows a ruling in May that the state illegally drew two congressional districts by using race as the predominant factor, giving them both black majorities. And in July, federal judges ordered the state legislature to draw two new General Assembly districts in areas which the court said discriminated against African-American voters. Wait, so are they discriminating for or against? Well, it's kind of a weird thing. If you watch my quickie on gerrymandering, I show how giving the Democrats a few safe districts actually results in them getting a minority of the seats because you're kind of segregating them all in one place instead of having their votes proportional. So, uh. Yeah, they are sneaky. They are really sneaky. Yeah, so Republican gerrymandered districts replace Democrat gerrymandered districts. Business as usual. Of course.
If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. So we really should take some time to look at this class action lawsuit James Damore just filed against Google, claiming discrimination against white male conservatives. Damore was the guy who wrote the memo that we talked about, which got quoted way out of context and resulted in the national media issuing a fatwa against him. Ah, uh, him. Google fired him, and now he's filed a class action lawsuit in Santa Clara Superior Court claiming that Google unfairly discriminates against white men whose political views go against those of Google executives, citing, quote, Google's open hostility for conservative thought. Yeah, and just read through this thing and you'll get what their practices are. I'm linking to the actual complaint. It's long. I'm not going to come anywhere close to reading it all out, but it's a compelling read. I'm just going to get you a few passages, which pretty much speaks for themselves. So, paragraphs four through eight say, Google's open hostility for conservative thought is paired with invidious discrimination on the basis of race and gender barred by law. Google's management goes to extreme and illegal lengths to encourage hiring managers to take protected categories such as race and or gender into consideration as determinative hiring factors to the detriment of Caucasian and male employees and potential employees at Google. Class members were ostracized, belittled, and punished for their heterodox political views and for the added sin of their birth circumstances of being Caucasians and or males. This is the essence of discrimination. Google formed opinions about and then treated plaintiffs not based on their individual merits, but rather on their membership in groups with assumed characteristics. Google employees and managers strongly preferred to hear the same orthodox opinions regurgitated repeatedly, producing an ideological echo chamber, a protected, distorted bubble of groupthink. When plaintiffs challenged Google's illegal employment practices, they were openly threatened and subject to harassment and retaliation from Google. Google created an environment of protecting employees who harassed individuals who spoke out against Google's view or the googly way, as it is sometimes known internally. Google employees knew they could harass plaintiffs with impunity, given the tone set by managers, and they did so. Wow, this makes them sound pretty much as bad as Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Google employs illegal hiring quotas to fill its desired percentages of women and favored minority candidates and openly shames managers of business units who fail to meet their quotas, in the process openly denigrating male and Caucasian employees as less favored than others. Not only was the numerical presence of women celebrated at Google solely due to their gender, 
but the presence of Caucasians and males was mocked with boos during company-wide weekly meetings. This unacceptable behavior occurred at the hands of high-level managers at Google who were responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of hiring and firing decisions during the class periods. And this is starting to sound like a solid debunking of any argument for state-mandated affirmative action. <laughs> well, ironically, it's that same state mandate that makes this illegal. Really? Well, yeah, because it doesn't specify, oh, you have to... You know, hire black people over white. It just says you can't discriminate based on race one way or another. I mean, they have to write the law that way or it's invalid. It violates equal protection. True. So under the law, it is just as discriminatory to not hire someone for being white as it is to not hire someone for being black. Makes sense. So they give a specific example in paragraphs 29 to 31. The TGIF meeting on March 30, 2017 was entitled Women's History Month, and Google brought in two presenters for this get-together, Ruth Perrot, the chief financial officer of Google, and Eileen Naughton, the human resources director of Google. During the March 30, 2017 TGIF meeting, either Perrot or Naughton pointed out and shamed individual departments at Google in which women comprise less than 50% of the workforce. Alternatively, they applauded and praised departments, such as the sales department, where women comprised more than 50% of the workforce. During the event, Parade and Naughton also discussed that when looking at groups of people for promotions or for leadership opportunities on new projects, Google would be taking into account gender and ethnic demographics. They then mentioned that Google's racial and gender preferences in hiring were not up for debate because this was morally and economically the best thing to do for Google. But, I mean, this is the thing. The SJWs wanted you to think that the law only says it's bad to discriminate against women and minorities, but no, the law guarantees equal protection. Like I said, if it's bad to discriminate against one race, it's bad to discriminate against any race. Yes, but they'll conveniently... You know, ignore that. All right, look at paragraphs 66 through 70. After Demore's memo went viral outside Google, Demore began receiving multiple threats and insults from his coworkers. On August 3, 2017, George Sandlier, a director at Google, sent out a mass email condemning James's essay as repulsive and intellectually dishonest and promising an HR investigation into Demore. Sandlier also promoted posts that advocated for physical violence against Demore. Subsequently, on Friday, August 4, 2017, Damore received a late-night email from Alex Hidalgo, a site reliability engineer, SRE, at Google and Sadlier's organization, which stated, and this is a quote within a quote, You're a misogynist and a terrible person. I will keep hounding you until one of us is fired. Fuck you. And they give a screenshot of the email. So it sounds like they've basically been harassing this guy since... Day one. Oh yeah, they've been hounding him. Hidalgo's email was another example of how Google's management team encouraged rank-and-file employees to attack other Googlers who expressed political viewpoints outside the company's very narrow views. The more forwarded Hidalgo's email to Google HR and was told to work from home until emotions cooled down. Notice how it's Damore who has to change his behavior about this. The exact mindset of a bully, basically. Yeah. Similar threats followed from other co-workers. Google executives and employees condemned Dalmore, his memo, and his views. Some co-workers demanded Dalmore's termination and the termination of other individuals who shared his views. And they give a bunch more screenshots. 
Damore was terminated on Monday, August 7, 2017 at approximately 6 o'clock p.m. via telephone as he had been working from home that day. He wasn't even there, pursuant to HR's instruction following the Alex Hidalgo threat of August 4. Yeah, this is just, it's just ridiculous, really. Paragraph 74 to 76, not only did Google terminate Damore for his political views relating to workplace issues, but they then rewarded individuals who disagreed with and disparaged Damore. The Google recognition team allowed employees to give fellow employees peer bonuses for arguing against Damore's political viewpoints. Peer bonuses were typically reserved for outstanding work performance or for going above and beyond an employee's job duties. Defending the liberal agenda or defending violations of California employment law is not in any Google employee's job description. In one example of this, an employee gave a peer bonus to another employee and stated that the bonus was for speaking up for googly values and promoting diversity and inclusion in the wretched hive of scum and villainy that is the Moore's memo. The Google recognition team reviewed this justification, considered it appropriate, and allowed the bonus to proceed. And they give another screenshot. I mean, they give screenshots throughout this whole thing. It's very well supported, including in the next paragraph, where they show high-ranking SRE director Colin Buckley saying that people like Damore, quote, deserve what's coming to them. Yes, this is silencing. I intend to silence these views. They are violently offensive. Wait, the one calling for violence is not the one who is violently offensive? Right. Yeah, try wrapping your head around that one, folks. All right, let's move on to 127 to 129. I know I'm reading a lot, a lot more than I normally do, but I'm I'm just hitting highlights here. I'm just getting ones that I think are important. But, I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, including things like Google hand-waving harassment against white males and even threatening to blacklist those complaining, and some of these others get into that too. So, 127 through 129. Google also placed Caucasian males in a lower standing than women and underrepresented minorities. In May of 2017, one Google employee discovered and reported several offensive postings attacking Trump supporters and Caucasian males. In June of 2017, HR responded, Thanks for your time the other day and sharing your response. We have reviewed the threads that you sent us and do not find them to be attacking traditionally conservative views, but more extreme alt-right views that seem to teeter into discrimination and possibly incite violence against certain groups of people. This is starting to sound a lot like they are adopting a we-and-not-we mindset. That's exactly what they're doing, yeah. Upon information and belief, Google never made any such comments regarding posts supporting the violent vigilante organization Antifa or other extreme leftist anarchist organizations. In fact, a large number of Googlers have set their corporate profile pictures to Antifa insignias, as seen in the image below, and they give the image. So Antifa is fine, but don't you dare be to the right of Marx. Even my left anarchist friends, most of them think Antifa is a joke. On or around August 2015, Adam Fletcher, a level 6 SRE manager at Google, Jake McGuire, a level 7 SRE manager at Google, and Nori Haikinen, a level 6 SRE manager at Google, all publicly endorsed blacklisting conservatives and actively preventing them from seeking employment opportunities at Google. Fletcher stated in reference to conservatives, who he categorized as hostile voices, I will never, ever hire or transfer you onto my team. Ever. I don't care if you're a perfect fit or technically excellent or whatever. I will actively not work with you 
even to the point where your team or product is impacted by this decision. I'll communicate why to your manager if it comes up. So, yay diversity? Uh, then paragraphs 133 to 135. Kim Burchett, a level 7 SWE manager, proposed creating an online company-wide blacklist of political conservatives inside Google. She was kind enough to suggest to her readership that they might deserve something resembling a trial before being added. And there's another screenshot. On August 7, 2015, another manager, Colin Winter, posted threats directed at a Google employee as a result of raising concerns of harassment and discrimination. Winter stated, under the quote within a quote, I keep a written blacklist of people whom I will never allow on or near my team based on how they view and treat their coworkers. That blacklist got a little longer today, so just complaining gets you on the blacklist. Also on August 7, 2015, another manager, Paul Cowan, reshared Colin Winter's threat to express his agreement with it and to indicate that he had also blacklisted Google employees with perceived conservative views. Cowan stated, if you express a dunderheaded opinion about religion, about politics, or about social justice, it turns out I am allowed to think you're a halfwit. I'm perfectly within my rights to mentally categorize you in my dickhead box. Yes, I maintain mentally and not yet publicly a blacklist. If I had to work with people on this list, I would refuse and try to get them removed. Or I would change teams, or I would quit. Um, yay tolerance? Yeah, I love how he's basically weaseling out of what he's actually doing on the company level by saying, oh, this is just me being, expressing my personal views. Yeah. Well, expressing it is one thing, but, like, refusing to take people onto your team or work with another team because of it, I mean, that does impact Google's business. So that's going against your job description there. All right, 137 to 139. On August 14, 2015, a small group of employees submitted a complaint to the Senior Vice President of Google HR, Laszlo Bach, and Senior Vice President of Legal, David Drummond, regarding the blacklisting of conservatives at Google. The group complained that there was an alarming number of individuals calling for genetic firings if they expressed certain opinions on sociopolitical subjects. The email further claimed that this type of suppression stifles debate and prevents the free exchange of ideas from happening. The email went on to complain about several individuals who had also openly proclaimed that they kept blacklists of Googlers they refused to work with on the basis of political views. It is common knowledge within Google that employees are habitually added to block lists for expressing conservative political views. In these comments, employees and managers discussed using block lists to sabotage other Googlers' job transfers onto their teams, and they give a screenshot from Stephanie Van Dyke, quote, I used to have a list written down. It was entitled Stephanie's Shit List, but it was hard to keep in sync with my Google Plus block list, so I deprecated the former and just used the latter. This is better, because when I added someone to that list, I would have to look at other names already on it, and that would make me sad. A Google Plus block list is just a black hole, and you only have to look at it if you want to. And someone responded to that, asking if such blacklists are allowed. Another advises talking to legal before doing so. And Aid Oceani replied, Technically, we all maintain such lists in the form of people we have blocked on internal Google+. In my case, it's meant that I'm much happier, since there are all sorts of people whose existence I've been able to forget. Now remember, these are their co-workers we're talking about. 
Let this be a lesson about bullying and harassment in the workplace, people. Yeah. All right, last block I'm going to quote, I promise. 149 to 151. On August 26, 2016, Curtis Yarvin, a well-known conservative blogger who has reportedly advised Steve Bannon, Peter Thiel, and other members of the Trump administration, visited the Google, and it should be noted that this was before the election, so they weren't members of the Trump administration at the time, visited the Google office to have lunch with an employee. This triggered a silent alarm, alerting security of personnel to escort him off the premises. And there's a screenshot of the security alert. It was later discovered that other influential conservative personalities are also on the same blacklist. So you're invited in by an employee, but you're on this blacklist, and so it sets an alarm and security escorts you out. On or about September 15, 2016, a Google employee asked HR if the writers could be removed from the blacklist. HR refused to help with the request and instead reconfigured the internal system so it was no longer possible to see who was on the blacklist. What do they have to hide exactly? <laughs> it's a secret list. Uh, secret lists. I'm sick of secret lists. Obama had one and now Google... <laughs> I mean, this thing just goes on and on and on like that. And, oh, by the way, something else I should mention, political groups are protected groups under California law. So this absolutely violates California's anti-discrimination laws. And it's also discriminatory under federal law as well, and the complaint goes into all of this with citations. They're asking for preliminary and permanent injunctive relief and joining Google from violating these laws, declaratory relief, general special and compensatory damages, and attorney's fees and other costs. And you get through all that, and you get to this point, you aren't even halfway through the document, because that's when the exhibits start. I mean, even beyond the screenshots that are included throughout the text. Oi. This is just making me laugh at anyone who claims that the laws actually work and do anything to protect us most of the time. Yeah. Or, oh, we're in a patriarchy, women can't get a break, black people can't get a break. I mean, you, you want to treat them equally, and this is what they do. I, I mean, people were calling Damore like a white supremacist and things like that, just for saying that they should be considered on equal footing. A fiend. Yeah. So, so much as I might agree with the more politically, what they're doing to him is deplorable, not to mention illegal, and I wish him the best of luck. Godspeed. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your Internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. 
And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to de-gentrify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week, blame the first nominates Kansas State Representative Steve Alford for claiming that marijuana is really bad for black people because of their genetics. No, it was really bad for them because of the Nixon administration. <laughs> well, we'll get to that, but... At a legislative coffee session, Alfred said that Jim Crow-era policies like banning drugs were done to protect other citizens from drugged-up darkies, quote. Wait, did he actually use that word? No, I'm being... I'm paraphrasing. I do that. I'm sure he probably has, though. What you really need to do is go back in the 30s when they outlawed all types of drugs in Kansas and across the United States. What was the reason they did that? One of the reasons why, I hate to say it, was that the African Americans, they were basically users, and they basically responded the worst to these drugs just because of their character makeup, their genetics, and that. And so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to do a complete reverse with people not remembering what has happened in the past. Oh, we remember what happened in the past, Alfred, all too well. As Blaine the First points out in his nomination, quote, not sure if this dim bulb is stupid enough to believe what he actually said, or unintentionally smart in revealing how racist the drug war has been these past 40 years. The majority of drug arrests for marijuana possession are of black Americans, despite them using drugs at the same rate as white Americans. So racial profiling. Yeah, pretty much. That was allegedly a huge uh, chunk of the reason behind the drug war, basically to destabilize black communities and counterculture communities. Yeah, that's actually what uh, top Nixon advisor John Ehrlichman said in an interview with Harper's Magazine, quote, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And Blame the First also points out that the crack epidemic was started by the CIA in order to fund weapons for the Contras. So yeah, the federal government targeted black Americans with crack for the sake of the military-industrial complex selling and trading weapons. So the drug war, like minimum wage and so many other government policies, is steeped in racism. And they try to claim, oh, it's, it's got nothing to do with that anymore. It, it's purely for benevolent reasons now. Yeah, the statistics do not bear that out. Even Alford's fellow Republicans in the state legislature disagreed with him. When your own party members know you're slinging it, that has to bring you to the top of the dung heap to become this week's biggest bogan emitter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.pagosity.tv and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. 
If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to get5.bogosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to prime.bogosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrowed Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited, read over 1 million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's cancel the overdraft of this week's Idiot Extraordinary! See, Johnny, that's how it's done. And this week it goes to the IRS, who once again engage in a basic math fail as they pay $20 million in order to collect just $6.7 million in tax debts. So they're, they're, they're collecting the tax debts at a loss? Right. They're spending more money collecting debts than they're actually gaining from collections. And this is from an annual report from the Taxpayer Advocate Service, an independent office within the IRS. There's a Newspeak name if I ever heard one which also said that the private collectors the IRS hired were paid as much as 25% in commissions, even on collections that the IRS made without their help. Not only that, but 45% of the collections were from people whose incomes fell below the minimum threshold and therefore didn't know anything at all. All this as the IRS has to pay settlements to over 400 conservative groups that had targeted for inappropriate screening based solely on their political viewpoints. And what's really ridiculous is that many, like the New York Times, are saying that this is a problem of privatization. Wait, what? Yeah, because collection agencies in the private sector always pay more money collecting than they get. Yeah, they, they totally survived doing that. Where are they even getting that from? Well, because they were contracting with private companies to do debt collection. Oh. They're also saying that this is a reason why taxes shouldn't be cut. Olson herself is saying that the problem is one of underfunding the IRS. We didn't even have the IRS until 1913, people! No, the problem is one of incentives. Since it isn't their money, they have no incentives to be good stewards of it. The agency is also complaining about how much customer service they have to do. They receive 95 million phone calls a year, but they only answer about 60% of them, and that's estimated to decline to 40%. They're also saying they need another half a billion dollars to update programming, answer phone calls, publish new forms, revise regulations, and train employees. Hey, I've got an idea. How about end the income tax? Wait a second, wait a second. So the basic argument here is let us take more of your money so we can take your money more effectively. Yeah, pretty much. All right, let's look at some figures. 
Last year, the federal government received $1.64 trillion from sources other than the personal income tax. Because people say, oh, well, they won't make any money. Nope, $1.64 trillion. We could end the income tax right now, replace it with nothing, and pass Bill Clinton's 1997 budget without any deficit. And if you want to adjust for inflation, we'd only have to go to 1993. Aye. So what was government like in 1993? Did we have a welfare state? I think we did. Did we have all this huge Cold War spending even though the Cold War was over? I think we did. So blaming this on anyone other than the IRS is just asinine, which is why only the IRS could possibly be this week's... Idiot wraps up this typical case of American Blind Justice edition of Vagosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.vagosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at vagosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail, or become a patron at patreon.vagosity.tv and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Daniel Wilcox for joining me. It was great to be back. It's been too long. Until next time, here's a quote from Robert Heinlein. Be wary of strong drink. It can make you shoot at tax collectors. And miss. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not, based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon, and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again.